Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajim. Bismillahi r-Rahman r-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi alladhi hadana lihaadha wa ma kunna li nahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. Wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-anbiya wa sayyidi al-mursaleen wa habibi alahi al-alameen abil qasim Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. وعلى آل بيت تيبين الطاهرين لا سيما مولانا وسيدي صاحب العصر والزمان روحي وأرواح العالمين له الفداء وأجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف ولانة دائمة على أعدائهم ومنكر فذائلهم الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقطة من لساني يفقه كولي We continue on in our discussion this Ramadan of Surah Al-Qalam chapter number 68 of the Noble Quran and tonight we'll be looking at part number 11 of this discussion and we'll be continuing on in the theme that we had begun a few sessions ago on the story of the people who owned gardens, as Allah referred to them as Ashabul Jannah. And just as a recap for what we've gone over in terms of this particular narrative, because there are three or four main uh, episodes within this uh, chapter of the Quran, three or four main different themes that Allah is covering. And these Ashabul Jannah, the people who own these gardens, are one of the stories that Allah brings forth in this chapter. So when we go back to a few days ago, we looked at the fact that it was a father who owned some gardens, an old man, and as we read in those verses that he would harvest the crops at the end of the season, whenever the harvest time was. He would keep some of the crops for himself, he would sell some of them, and he had a habit where the poor people of the city they would come at harvest season and they knew that they would be given gifts, they would be given some of the crops, the excess remaining crops, that they could feed for them, they could use to feed themselves. This continued on for many years until the father passes away. His children inherit his property as would happen in any case. And unfortunately, as we mentioned, that his children inherited the wealth, but they did not inherit the father's akhlaq. They did not in- inherit the father's generous giving that he had. And so what ended up happening is that the brothers planned to deprive the poor of the harvesting. They you know, didn't want to share their wealth with the needy. They didn't want to give to the needy. And so they planned together with one another that when harvest season came along, because their father was no longer alive, that they would now deprive the needy people of what was, you know, in, apparently in uh, abundance. There was excess that they would actually harvest. And when we concluded in our session the other day, we mentioned that the brothers had gone to sleep, as the Quran mentions, and Allah says that a punishment came upon them on their crops. So we left off that their brothers were asleep at home, their crops, wherever they were, they have been... As the Quran says, a visitation from Allah came upon them, meaning a punishment of Allah came upon the crops. And now we want to look at the outcome of what befell the owners of the garden. So let's see what Allah has to say. We're going to look at verses 21 to 25 and then come through with a summary and a conclusion of this collection of these four verses. Salu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. In verse 21, Allah says, فَتَنَادَوْ مُسْبِحِينَ And when the brothers woke up, they called out to each other in the morning. So now, keep in mind a few things that where the brothers live is at a, some distance to where their farms are. This is obviously well before internet, before cell phone technology. 
And so now they have to somehow try to talk to one another in a secretive fashion, and they have to somehow get from home to their farms without the poor people noticing them going that way. Because if you can imagine, if the poor people see them going towards their farms, they know the season is harvesting time, they're going to put two and two together and realize that that is where they're going to. So as the verse says, the brothers woke up and they called out to each other in that morning. What did they say to one another? They said, They said, go early to your field before the needy and the beggars come if you have to harvest the crops. So in our previous discussion, they had planned with one another. They had talked amongst one another. They had made the intention, the niyyah, not to give the poor. Now we fast forward, it's harvest time. They're about to go to their fields. And they're again reminding one another. So they're again reminding one another that we made that promise, whatever how many weeks or months back, that we wouldn't give the poor anything from our harvesting. Just as a reminder, when we're going to, if you have to go to your farms today to harvest the crops, make sure that you go early so none of the poor people know that you're going there. Allah then mentions after this, in the next verse, He says, So they went towards their crops, towards their fields, while they consulted together secretly with one another to confirm their plans to deprive the poor. So again, they are, you know, it's a continuous stage. They're, they're, they're continuously reminding one another that this plan that they had, you know, to not back out on it. And this is sometimes what we even see in the world, where when people are conspiring to do evil, when people want to do bad, and there are a group of people, in order to ensure that, you know, one person doesn't think about, you know, what he's doing as being wrong, we'll always try to talk one another into it. Make sure that, you know, you remember the plan to reinforce it in the minds of the people, of those people, so that you don't get cold feet, you don't get scared, and that you go through with what has been planned. So this is what the brothers are doing, is that they are planning and they're continuing to remind one another of the plan so that nobody backs out of it. Eventually they say, أَنْ يَدْخُلَنَّهَا الْيَوْمَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِسْكِينَ That they said to one another, that no poor person shall enter our garden today while we are there. Again, another level that they're telling their brothers that even if you get to the gardens, صَلُوا عَلَى مُحَمَّدْ وَعَلِ مُحَمَّدْ The brothers are again telling one another that no poor people should eat from the garden. So even if the poor people do find, the, the brothers find the poor people coming to the garden, expecting to be fed, expecting to be given from the excess, make sure they don't enter there, make sure they don't have any connection to getting anything. Just showing the level of greed these people had. Again, keeping in mind that their father who was a nobleman, he would give to the poor. So somewhere there was a disconnect where the brothers did not learn that trait of giving from their father or they just ignored the moral upbringing that they get, were given and they decided to, again, deprive these people. And so before we conclude with the points to learn, the last verse says, وَغَدَوْا عَلَى حَرْدٍ قَادِرِينَ And in the morning, 
they, the brothers, went out to their farms, thinking that they are having the power to prevent the poor people from being assisted. So again, Allah is showing us, because till this point, keep in mind that they don't know what happened to their trees, their orchards. Allah told us in the verse 19, 18 and 19, that a punishment had come upon the crops, a punishment had come upon the people, the crops were destroyed, but they still have not gone to the farms. They're still leaving home, walking to the farm. They've woken up, they've plotted with one another, they've had these multiple levels of discussion and dialogue, and now they're thinking that they're going to go to the farms, harvest the fruit, take it all home, sell it in the market, make their money, and that they're going to basically prevent the poor from getting what was their rightful, you know, what they actually were, um, that what they should have actually been given based on the rules of, of the charity that they had to follow. So we're going to conclude there and just go through some points to reflect upon. Um, and in our next discussion, we'll actually see what happens when the brothers actually make it to their garden. So just about five or six points to reflect upon for ourselves as well. One is that sometimes we see that a bad intention in our life is enough for a punishment to come upon us, even if we don't act on that thought. In most cases, we see that in our life, it's only when we do something bad that we expect Allah to punish us. This is the general trend and the thought that we have within our minds. But this surah shows us that these brothers had only made the intention to deprive the poor people of the crops, the excess, and even that, just whatever minimal that they were asking for. But sometimes, and they get a punishment. They are actually punished in this world for their action. And so this is a reflection for us to think about that sometimes even us having a bad intention, just a bad niyyah, can actually result in a punishment from Allah as a lesson for us, as a warning call for you and I. A second point that we can draw is that being greedy and miserly, it doesn't necessarily mean that one will become richer. If Allah wants to take wealth from us, He can do so in many different ways. Right? And when we live, and we live in a country today which is a very prosperous society, yes, obviously there are people that have financial difficulties, there are people who don't have a job within our community, there are people who don't, you know, who struggle to make ends meet. But mostly or generally speaking, we can say that many people within Canada, within our community especially, are very well off. We don't have to worry that tonight we will go home, will we have food on the table for iftar? That's not a thought probably in anybody's mind. Or if there is, it's maybe a very small percentage. The fact that we can go home is, is, is another blessing that we have, that we have a home to go home to. And so we have to realize that when we have been given so much by Allah, even if we don't have the millions that other people might have, if we just have the thousands or the hundreds, then we have to realize that whatever little even that we have, that we should be thankful for it, and that we should be ready to give to the needy. Right? It's not a matter of how much that we give in charity. It's not a matter that, well, you know, the cause is asking for five or ten or fifteen or fifty thousand dollars, and I only have a hundred dollars to spare. It's not a matter of how much a person gives. It's a matter with what intention do they give. Because you can have two people. You can have a person who has, for example, $100,000 in savings. And maybe he gives $10,000. It's a lot of money, definitely. 
But it's only 10% of what he can have, what he, what he could have given. You may have another person who has $1,000 saved. He gives, he gives $500. He's given 50% of his savings. So yes, the 500 is numerically less than 10,000. But here a person gave 50%. Here somebody gave 10%. So the number of how much you give, it doesn't make the difference. Allah can put barakah in that 500 such that it can reach to 50, 100, $200,000 of actual usage. The reward can, would be much more for this individual giving a much, much greater percentage of what they can give. And obviously Allah can judge all of our intentions and He will judge us according to why we did a particular action. We also learn from this story so far up to date that whatever we plan, Allah also plans. And as we know that Allah's plans are the best and the most effective. These young men in the story intended to deprive the poor, and we will see how they are actually the ones who become deprived of their own work, their own effort to grow in their own gardens. And the last few points, and we'll conclude with this tonight, is that, and this is based also on hadith, we have the greed and miserliness that these make a person hard-hearted to the point where we don't care for other people. Right? Sometimes we wonder, why are, you know, why are people so stone-cold? They, they see people suffer, they see people um, struggle on the world. You, know, you watch television on a Saturday morning, for example, and you'll see these television programs about children in sub-Saharan Africa, about you know, children in Latin America. You see people in other parts of the world who are suffering and we just easily flip the channel. We don't even think twice about it. You know, sometimes our communities will have fundraisers for you know, less the, you know, the, the deprived people of our own society. And we just look at it on a screen as a number that a community has to raise for donations. And we just go on with life without even thinking to give whatever we can give. Right? Greed, when we become more and more greedy as a society, as consumers, as human beings, and even as Muslims, unfortunately, that greed and miserliness, when we're not willing to give, we're willing to spend on our cell phones, on our cable TV, on our vacations, we're willing to spend on everything in the world, but we're not willing to spend on the needy people, then our heart, we become to a level of being so hardened that we don't even feel the pain that other people are going through. We don't feel the hunger of our you know, people that are of our religion or even the people who don't even follow our religion. They're just human beings. And so greed can actually, can, you know, it can be a, a contributing factor to hard-heartedness which continues to make us more greedy and it became, basically it becomes to a point where we are consumed by our own greed. And as the hadith tells us, Nabi Isa salam, Prophet Jesus, has been quoted as saying in a tradition, if, if I'm not mistaken, that the only thing that would fill a person who has greed is the dirt of his grave. Right? So this world can never fill us up. You see people today, they have million dollar homes, multi-million dollar homes even here in this city. People drive cars, hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollar cars. They'll go on vacation around the world. They have the most expensive clothes, women with the thousand dollar, two thousand dollar handbags, with shoes, designer this and that. It doesn't make, we're still not filled. We want more and more. Prophet Isa says the only thing that will fill a person like that 
is the dirt of their own grave. And really that's all that will fill them and satiate them, is to be thrown into the grave and covered, and then that will be it. There will be no more greed after that. Point number five is that when we talk about helping the less fortunate people, this is not mustahab. You know, we think, oh, it's mustahab to give charity. It's mustahab to help somebody out. Actually, this is wajib for us. It's an obligation that we have. And if it wasn't an obligation, why would Allah in this story punish people who did, a, who did not do a mustahab action? Right? It's something to think about. If charity is mustahab, why would Allah punish these brothers? They could say, well, Allah, charity is recommended. It's not wajib. Why did you punish me for not doing a, a mustahab action? And so we have obviously, and that's a huge discussion because there are multiple levels of charity that we give, you know, multiple forms of assistance. We have, for example, sadaqat that we give, the general sadaqah that we give to the needy. In a few days on the day of Eid on Monday, Sunday for some people, Monday for others, Monday, Sunday or Monday will be the day of Eid, zakatul fitr. This is wajib to give. It's not mustahab, it's not recommended, this is an obligation. Wajib. The hadith of the imams tell us that I talked about a few days ago that the completion of the fasting of Ramadan is by giving the zakat al-fitr. And the imam gave the example, the sixth imam gave the example where just as your salat, your namaz is incomplete without the salawat on Muhammad and Ali Muhammad, he's, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. He says that Fasting is incomplete if you do not give the zakat al-fitr. And the jamaat and institutions have given the, the details of how much it is. It can range from $10 up to $20 per person, depending on what you at home eat on a regular basis, whether it's flour, roti, whether it's rice, whether it's you know, whatever the other items are in, the, in that scale. It can range from $10 to $20. But the point is that that is wajib, charity that has to be given we know that khums is wajib. People say, well, there's only one verse of the Qur'an. Fine, there's only one verse, but we don't need more than one verse to make something you know, a part of our religion. And khums is an obligation. 20% of your net savings after all of your expenses are taken care of. You know, This isn't even an income tax that we have in Canada. This is what Allah gives us as a savings tax. So after all your legitimate expenses are done, that is wajib. That form of charity, that form of giving to the needy is wajib. And who does it go to? Obviously, I don't want to go into the details, but it goes to the sadat, the needy from the family of the Prophet. And that too, they have to meet stringent conditions. They can't be sinners. They have to be looking for a job, not that they're sitting waiting for a handout. They have strict conditions they have to maintain. The other half goes to the 12th Imam which is what we use to build centers, to maintain our buildings, to propagate Islam, to publish books, to help our students in the Hawza. All of that khums money goes to helping those students survive. So helping less fortunate, in, in, in summary, is not a mustahab action. This is wajib. Those who have been given have to give back. Those who have not been given by Allah, they take. And it makes an entire comprehensive system that Islam has put into place. And last but not least, and this is an important point, is that helping out others is not about Muslim versus non-Muslim. It's about humanity. Right? We have this fixation, I'll only help a Muslim. I'll only help my community. I'll only help my people from my village, from my town, back home. It's good to help our own people, no doubt, because our people don't have maybe NGOs to go to or governments to turn to. 
But when we look at it, humanity on a whole is what our scope should be. Right? It's not just about ourselves, our tribe, our community. We have many examples of the Ahlul Bayt in Medina where they would give to the non-Muslims who would come at their door knocking for food. Well, we don't have people knocking on our doors at home. But we do know that there are needy people in our own society. And so when it comes to helping out people, we shouldn't think twice. Right? There's even room in sadaqah. Right? In, the, in the term of sadaqah, there are seven or eight groups of people who are deserving of the sadaqah, like the, the kind that we put in a box every day. And one of those is mu'allifatul qulub. Those whose hearts may become inclined would have a better understanding of Islam if they had assistance. Right? So as a community, even giving sadaqah to a non-Muslim, there is a legal basis and a permissibility for it. The point being is that when it comes to helping, we have to help humanity. We shouldn't discriminate against who we're helping. Obviously, we have certain funds in Islam that need to be spent in a certain way. Right? We're not going to say, well, use homes on you know, anything you want. No, there are certain usages. Zakat al-Fitr, for example, that we'll take out is specifically reserved for Shias. Ashari, it can't go to other Muslims. Uh, it can as a second or a third level, but ideally to our own community. But we have to realize that Allah has put a lot of forms of charity, mustahab and wajib, that can be used for humanity on a whole. And so let me close there and conclude this part 11. And we ask Allah that as we have only four more days remaining in this blessed month of Ramadan, we ask Allah three days actually in this month of Ramadan, two for some. We ask Allah to accept the acts of worship that we have performed so far in this blessed month. We ask Allah to forgive us any of our sins that may have not yet been forgiven over the last 27 days and nights. We ask Allah to give us the ability to continue to engage in His worship well after the month of Ramadan. And we ask Allah that we are able to be present to witness the return of our 12th Imam, Imam Al-Hujjah and that we are able to be worthy of being his helpers and assistants as he comes to bring forth a reformation of society to bring about justice and equality on an economic, on a political, on a social level. And we ask Allah to forgive all of the marhumin from our family, our community, our friends, the ulama who have left this world, all the shuhada who have given their lives and their blood for the sake of Islam. Let us conclude by remembering all of them with a surah to Mubarakatul Fatiha. But before that, one salawat upon Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad.